morning. It's good to be here this morning in church. Uh, it's really strange. Um, way back in last January, February, somewhere in there, I, I preached my first sermon in many, many, many years. And and we had talked about, you know, as we move forward looking for a new pastor, what is it, you know, what are you thinking about doing, and, you know, how are you going to fit in with all this? And, and one of the things that really convicted me as we started was, you know, I think the first message or two that I preached was about, you know, we really, as, as a church body, as me personally, as a Christian, I need to keep working on the idea of growing in my, my spiritual maturity as a Christian, growing and, you know, moving ahead a little bit, so that if, you know, bad times should come or if things should happen, you know, I, w- I would be able to, to stand firm and, you know, we as a church would be able to stand firm as things happen and as we wait you know, for the uh, full-time pastor to come in and, and, you know, I feel like I jinxed us and somehow ever since then it's been uh, a, a time of testing, I think for our for our church, in that you know we we're learning to deal with loss, we're learning to deal with you know people going without things, we're learning to continue to deal with sickness, uh, the the things that are common to you know with being a human, you know we all deal with those things, but it just seems strange in the last year or so we we seem to have just be on this cycle of you know things happening and things going on and. And uh, and not just us, but you know, as as a nation, as a world, we continue to, you know, trial after trial after trial, testing our faith, testing our our beliefs, testing our, our you know our, our the faith in our in our country, the the faith of, of our community, of where do we where do we fit in? So it. It's kind of neat how God kind of, you know, I think prepares His church, prepares people, and helps us to, to look at these things. Um, I teach geography. It's not my favorite class. I, I really like teaching history. I like teaching, I really like teaching psychology. That's a lot of fun. Geography, not so much. Uh, the state of Ohio, in its wisdom, has drastically changed the geography curriculum. When you guys were in school... Uh, when I was in school, it, geography meant uh, you learn your uh, well. This country's here, and this is a you know uh, this is a peninsula, and this is an isthmus. <laughs> you know what's an isthmus? You know, you know isthmus be my lucky day. You know that whole thing. So you know what's an isthmus and a you know anymore? Now it's more like what we used to call sociology. Now we spend so much time talking about culture and and people and movement, and it's, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting, but it's a lot different than, you know, getting out the maps and, and doing a lot of that. One of the, the uh, events of the past year that, you know, it rocked our country, and not so much here because we're not directly impacted, that was Hurricane uh, Irma, and, and uh, oh, the other one, I can't remember the name of yeah, Harvey, okay. And uh, that, those hurricanes caused immense destruction. Before that, the standard was Hurricane Katrina from you know, seven, eight years ago, 
which was very devastating uh, to New Orleans. Lake Pontchartrain spilled over into the, the bowl and flooded the whole city out. And, but the cost of Irma and, and Harvey from this year is just estimates. I mean, you can never put an exact price tag. It's somewhere north of $300 billion the last time I looked. That's roughly 1% to 2% of our entire national economy. I mean, that's a, a lot of money. And a lot of people were affected by that. The flooding, the strong winds, uh, the way that it destroyed those cities. Um, the song that we just sang, I mean, I always think of the hurricanes, you know, like a hurricane, you know, the tidal wave, you know, the whole thing. And... Uh, that reminds me of one of my favorite parables in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 7 today. I don't have any slides for you as I've uh, ran out of time. Okay, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, of course, is on the... Uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's laying it out there for everybody and... In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he gives this little, uh, this little, uh, little story. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the wind fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And, uh, and then he continues, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. One of the uh, pictures that I've got saved that I show uh, the kids sometimes at school is there was a picture of this house. And well, it was like a, a row of houses, kind of like up here at Northridge, just, you know, house, 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 house. And there was this one just destroyed house, and another destroyed house, and another one. And then there was this one house, looked like nothing had even touched it. And there was a, now I don't believe that this is the reason it was spared, but there was a statue of, of Jesus out in front. Just, just a, obviously it was a Catholic family, I think. And then... The next house, destroyed, 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 on down the block. You know, so you look at this, it's like all these houses destroyed, and there's this one house. Looked like nothing had even touched it. And then, dun, 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 down the thing. And I always, whenever I see that picture, I, I think back to this, this story, this parable. You know, how many people build their house on the sand, and it, you know, it gets, you know, when things happen, it gets blown away. But that one house built on the rock, it, it stands. Despite the wind, despite the hurricane, despite whatever was thrown at it, it stands right there. There's a, another picture of uh, in uh, Hiroshima, Japan. There's this arch. It's this big thing standing. Got this, it's got a Japanese symbol up there. It just kind of stands there. And it survived the... Uh, the bombing of Hiroshima, the nuclear attack, everything around it was leveled. There was this arch standing there. 
And then uh, there were several earthquakes. Subsequently, later, years destroyed it. Everything's down. There's that arch standing there. They had the, uh, the big earthquake a few years ago with the, uh, the nuclear power plants were, were damaged. There's the arch standing there. It's like, what is that arch made out of? Holy cow. Nuclear bombs, earthquakes, I mean, that thing's pretty sturdy. But again, I go back to this parable and I think about this. You know, Jesus is giving a, you know, a little word picture here. He's, you know, uh, the house that he's talking about, you know, a wise man builds his house on the rock. I think the house represents your spiritual life, the spiritual life of, of, of you, of the church, of, you know, and he's talking about, you know, the, where do you base your, your, uh, your spiritual life on? Is it, is it built into the rock, something immovable, something strong, something that will not, will, will not be destroyed, or is it on, built on something shifting, sand? You know, when the trials come, boom, it gets blown away. I think the wind and the rain in this parable, these are the trials, the tribulations, or the judgments even, that affect our lives, the times of testing that, that come along. It's interesting, Jesus didn't seem to say, you know, if the wind comes, but when it comes. The wind is going to come, it's going to blow, and uh, your spiritual house, which you've built your, your spiritual life, that's going to be tested. The rains will fall, the, the floods will come, the winds will blow and slam against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. I've gone to this church long enough over the years. I've seen things happen here and there, and as, as a people, we, we work together and struggle at times and, and try to keep things going. There's never been a sense that the house was about to get blown over by trial, by tribulation, and I don't feel that today. I feel like our church is built upon a solid foundation, built upon the rock. So as things happen, as we go through things together as a church family, as the winds blow and rock the house, it's going to remain steadfast. James chapter 1 uh, verse 22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the theme here today is this idea of remaining steadfast. Be steadfast, immovable. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians, if you would turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, this is a book, of course, written by Paul to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had some had some issues going on. And Paul always was writing letters to try to encourage people. 
And in chapter 15, he goes on and he's teaching them about the, uh, the resurrection of, you know, Christ's resurrection. It was a fact. There were people who were questioning whether or not that was really true or not. And there were people within the church arguing about, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's the order of resurrection? Is this going to happen? What's going to happen? And in this letter... Paul writes him this little uh, little statement here. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. The last verse in that chapter. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. I love that idea. Be steadfast. Be immovable. You're not going to be rocked. You're not going to be, to be moved. Okay, so you have, here we have the Corinthian church having problems with heresy, which is something that can affect the church, definitely. That's the trial. That's the tribulation that was affecting it. False teaching. You got a bunch of baby Christians, and you got others going around, uh, you know, corrupting their, their minds and what they're, what they're thinking and... and Paul's reminding them, you got to go back to the truth. Build uh, the idea that, like, I built the idea of the church on something immovable, the rock. And what he's talking about is the Word, word of God. Okay? Now, they didn't have a Bible yet in the New Testament, but these letters from Paul, you know, these are messages from, from God in a way. Paul encouraged the Corinthian church to remain faithful to everything that he had taught them. Look, I taught you everything. As a teacher, I teach kids stuff all the time. Don't you remember what we talked about? You know, what are you, what are you talking? And they're off on something else now. No, go back to what we talked about. When you see the word therefore in Scripture, we should always back up to see what was there before. Um, so obviously, Paul has made a long speech, and he said some things, and therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. So, you know, always back up to see what it is, what it is that he's talking about. You know, and the word therefore, is, it's, a, it's a summation of what was previously stated. It's kind of like a lawyer at the end of the, of the trial. And I've laid it all out. Therefore, people of the jury... Not guilty or, or whatever. Okay. Paul addresses those who had fallen away from his original teachings, and you know they were embracing some heresy. And he restates that the the, the truth of, in this case, Jesus's death for sin and resurrection. And he says, get back to the teachings. Get back to what we talked about before. In the previous message, I talked about the fundamentals. Get back to the fundamentals. Make the main thing the main thing. We're getting carried away with all these crazy ideas. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, which, uh, let me read that to you real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, another letter to a different church this time. Verse 
Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into, excuse me, into him who is the head, even Christ. And goes on and talks about Again, to keep from being tossed around and thrown about by the wind, speak the truth. Rely on the truth. Go back to the Bible. Okay, What does the Bible say? That's why I really feel strongly that a, the, you know, a church needs to you know, its teachings, its foundations, the Word of God is so important that we, we look at it, we think about it, we honor it. I love the fact that the worship team is incorporating Scripture into the, to the worship. Because it's the rock, the rock on which we stand, and we always think of Jesus as being that rock, but it's sound doctrine, it's the idea of the Bible. <laughs> the Bible doesn't change. I can be pretty crafty. I could be very cunning and trick some of you into believing certain things if I really tried. I could probably, you know, there are a lot of spiritual things that sound real spiritual that, that aren't in the Bible. God helps those who helps themselves, Reese. It's in the book of Hezekiah. Go look it up, you know. Um, it's not in there. I mean, people look at that. And I remember uh, Pete Whitaker. I haven't seen Pete in a while, but one year he... Uh, is Pete here? Oh, hey, Pete. There you are. <laughs> I can't see that far back there anymore. It, years and years ago, Pete pulled out in Sunday school. When we used to meet downstairs, we had a pool table for a, our table. We just put a sheet of like paneling over it, and that was our, our table. Around Christmas time, he pulls out a this little quiz, and he hands it around, and I'm, I'm taking this quiz. Well, this is easy. How many wise men were there? Well, there were three. Uh, and you keep going around all these things. And sure enough, just about every one of them was false. And I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is in the Bible. And Pete says, let's find it. It wasn't in the Bible. The Bible doesn't really say how many wise men there were, for example. And I'm like, man, he got me on that. And then we, I forget some of the others, but there were a lot of them, and I felt really foolish afterwards. All these things I thought were in the Bible and had known, that really wasn't in the Bible. We need to go back to the Word and build our house, our spiritual life, our foundation upon the Word of God. Because when things happen, when tragedies occur, when shocking things happen in the life of a church, we're not going to be moved by the wind, by trials, temptations, tragedies. We're not going to get carried away and have our spiritual house wrecked by the tribulations and trials that are common to, to people. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians. He said, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. When things happen, we're, we're, we're severely tested, at least I am, in my form of testing, because 
I'm so interested in science, and I'm so interested in, in culture and in history. You know, there are times when I'm weak, I, I doubt that God is even real. Oh, this, who are we fooling? We're just making this all made up. And you got men all throughout history that have all made up gods to make themselves feel good. And then I have to go back and remind myself, go back to the Word of God. Go back to the Word of God. And it's that foundation in the Bible that keeps me grounded. So that when I have days of doubt, I'm able to have a reference point, something that doesn't change. And the longer that I live, young people, the longer that I live, I see the Bible being true. I see spiritual needs, spiritual things being met when I keep it to, according to the Word of God. I used to think things like coaching and, and oh, stuff, and you know, that's where it's going to be found, and I'm going to... None of that stuff matters. I've come to understand and learned how to accept myself and love myself because Christ loved me. I'm not going to find meaning and purpose in stuff in my job. I'm not going to find it in these other things. I find it through the Word of God. The knowledge that Christ loved me, gave Himself up for me. That means I have worth. I have value. And what I try to do as a Christian is not in vain. Even if it's a tiny little thing. I've done something to serve my God and I won't be shaken when, when trials come. So what do you do uh, to remain steadfast, to remain unmovable, and, and continue here to, to hang on to the Word of God? 2 Timothy, I'm making a tour through the New Testament here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's see here. Verse 15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That's this, <laughs> trying to, to uh, accurately handle that. Basically, not trying to make it say something it doesn't, but, but reading the Scripture. It means we not only read the Bible, but we, we allow it to become part of us. Its truth should penetrate our minds and our hearts and allow it to, to shape our thinking and our actions. Should be, you know, fill our minds so that we can detect error when we hear it. Luke chapter 4, uh, not long after Jesus began his public ministry, he was ended up in the, uh, you know, it was a time of testing. A trial, temptation. And Satan himself used Scripture for his own purposes. He twisted it up a little bit to sound as though it you know, said something that it doesn't say. Luke chapter 4, so that uh, prove I'm not making this up. Luke chapter 4. Jesus has been baptized and now he's, he's been... He's uh, heading out into the wilderness to be 
tempted by the devil. Verse 9, Luke 4, verse 9, And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What you're asking me to do is to violate the spirit of, of, the, of what God wants, of the Word. Sure, if I jump off, the angels will come and save me. But that's not the point. The point was not to put the Lord your God to the test. So yeah, the devil took a little bit of Scripture and he kind of twisted it. And, but Jesus didn't fall for it because he knew what the Scripture said. It's like the guy that, uh, I think I've told this story, but you probably have heard this. Uh, uh, a new Christian was like, I'm going to just pray to God that he will direct me every day. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to close the Bible and then I'm going to have, uh, I'll open it up and put my finger down there. And whatever it says, that's what God wants me to do. So he, in my case, it says, uh, doesn't make any sense. Little children, make sure you're not deceived. Okay, well, there you go. Perfect. That's exactly what I'm preaching on. How about that? Yeah, you know. No, I mean, the, the new Christian looked in there and he says, Judas hanged himself. It's like, what? He said, that can't be right. So he, he closes it up and he opens it up again. Go and do likewise. Wait a minute. Third time's got to be a charm. What you do, do it quickly. Now, wait a minute. That, that can't be right. You know, so. Yeah, we have to accurately handle the word of truth. Even Christians can be duped by smooth-sounding smooth heresy if they don't have a solid grounding in this whole counsel of God. It's God's desire that we grow daily in our understanding of Him and His Word so that we'll remain faithful to the end. So that when the rains come, when the winds come, if your life is built upon the solid foundation, on the Word of God, you're not going to be destroyed, carried away, swept away. Our church continues to persevere under some difficult situations. Deaths, loss, we had a fire, the turmoil of the pastoral search, the, the, the struggling of, of how we all fit in and, and work together as, you know, as we wait to see you know, what God's going to bring to us. But our church has been able to endure because we remain steadfast. As a lay pastor over the last nine months, one of the things that I found really interesting is, <clears throat> not interesting, but I've been very thankful for, there's no gossiping in this church. I don't know, I haven't heard hardly any gossiping, backbiting, 
I haven't sensed any jealousy among people, any animosity. Sure, we have disappointments and disagreements and those types of things, as anybody would. But I don't see anything like that that's going to you know, eat away at the foundation of the church. But do we, will we continue to be grounded in the Word of God so that we can meet these, these challenges? Every church goes through challenges. But for years, I mean, nothing happened. I mean, there wasn't any real trial. I mean, what's, you know, my, we, we forgot to bring something to the potluck. Holy smokes, what are we going to do? You know, if that's the worst thing we got to worry about, big deal. But we as a church family have come together. We have loved one another. We serve one another. We pray for one another. We correct one another as the time calls for it. Hold each other accountable. Basically love one another as, as the church should. If it could only be that way until Jesus comes. But the wind's coming again. The storms will come again. Difficult times will arise. But our church will be able to endure because I believe we remain steadfast. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, here's another letter to a church that had been corrupted by by uh, false teaching, in this case probably a, a, a philosophy called Gnosticism. The Gnostics had corrupted the, the church at Colossae. This is a belief that, look, God is good, but matter is evil. Okay? Uh, only God is good, matter is evil. They also believed that there was this secret higher knowledge that you could find uh, this, this real search for spiritual stuff. You can't trust the flesh. You can't trust what's going on there. They also believed in worshiping angels. There was some Jewish legalism mixed in there. So you got a whole potpourri of false teaching infecting the church. And that's a lot when you got a new church going. And you're already living in a world that thinks Christians are a cult. That, that hate them, and what the last thing you need is for the church to have its own internal problems. Paul is sitting in prison at this point. He's been under arrest in Rome. Go back and read through the book of Acts. The, the whole story is in there. And while he's a prisoner here in Rome, Paul would write the church a letter giving his concerns. He was worried about them. He's sitting here thinking, is, is the church built on sand, or are they, were they, are they built on the rock? I'm not sure. We've got to find out. So he writes them a letter, the book of, today we call it the, the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, We've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining to the steadfastness and patience, jealously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Paul prays for spiritual wisdom and understanding here so that they could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They would be strengthened by their knowledge of the word. That's going to allow them to be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. Why? For endurance and patience, which is what we call steadfastness. He then goes on in, in the, the, the letter here to correct errors in belief, and there's some other church matters that he tends to. But that church survives because they have a faith based on the Word of God. That allows them to remain steadfast. They would not be shaken. They would not be moved. I don't know about you, but I never liked the word test. As a teacher, I always tell the kids, oh, your quiz will be on Friday. Uh, isn't it a test? And, well, well, yeah, but we'll call it a quiz. Because you tell the kids there's a test, they're all, oh, are you going to tell me there was a test? Ah, and they get all mad, throw a fit, and they all start sweating bullets. And If I tell them there's, we're going to have a quiz on Friday, oh, okay, quiz, quizzes aren't bad. All right. But I never liked the word test. But I think that God sometimes does give us tests. When I was in school, I didn't really study a lot for tests. Uh, I used to think I'd just know the material. And if I did, I crammed for tests. I learned it for that moment, but after the test was done, I forgot everything. Some kids, they learn it, and they retain it, and they, they keep it. And it's there for them as a, something they can use the rest of their lives. So many of us are crammers. We learn spiritual truth, and we learn it just for that moment, for whatever we need it, and then we're gone. We, we, we forget about it. But I think God gives us tests too. I think He wants to see if we have learned what He was teaching us. And I don't think, unlike teachers... I, I, God's never done me the favor of announcing it ahead of time. Now, John, I want you to be ready here, because in about a month, there's going to be a real big test. You're going to have to be ready for it, and I hope you're ready. And God's never done me the favor of, of whispering in my ear of when things were going to happen. And things happen, and the shock of it can be tremendous. I think about my good friend Stan and Violene today and the terrible shock that, that they're going through. But I know that family will be okay. Stan and Violene will be okay because their lives are built on the Word of God. Their lives are built upon Jesus and the wind and the rain is blowing hard against their house. They won't be shaken or moved. Sure, it hurts of what they have to deal with. 
And the pain is, and others have lost kids too. But the wind will come, the winds will blow, will blow into the house, the rain comes, the floods come. Their house is built on the rock. They won't be shaken. God, I think, sometimes tests us to see if we're actually learning, growing, are we advancing. He wants us to grow up. I think He uses events to do that. I don't know that God necessarily, you know, I'm going to cause this to happen. and Maybe He does. I, I can't speak for God in that. I've... During their time with Jesus, the disciples had reached a point in their spiritual lives when it was time to grow up. They'd been following the Lord for a while. They'd gone on. They'd seen the miracles. Uh, we talked about in Sunday school, you know, the feeding of the, the 5,000, then the feeding of the 4,000. It was like, well, what? <laughs> why don't these guys remember anything? It's like they haven't learned anything. But it, there came a time in the life of the disciples, it was time to see if their faith had grown. And by now, the crowds that had followed Jesus were getting big. They were being dazzled by his miracles. And one day as they listened to him and watched his miracles, their stomachs began to growl. I'm hungry. Although Jesus knew these people were fickle, he probably knew they're all going to sell me out here eventually. He felt compassion for them. I don't know if I would have done that. I'd probably been like the disciples. Look, we got to get going here, Jesus. They all know you can do a miracle. They've seen you do miracles. Do we really need another miracle here? Let's, let's get going. we got to get across the sea here and, and get moving. And Jesus is like, no, I want to have compassion on these people. The Lord cared. He loved them. He took the five barley loaves, the two fish. He multiplied them and he fed the people. There was so much they had left over. People went crazy. And so Jesus, like, he was, look, man, he's the Klosterman's man. Yeah, you know, he's going to fill us up. People wanted to get him and make him king and, and get their hands on him. Ah, and he was like, I got to get out of here. Jesus would often slip away by himself to a mountain to pray. Meanwhile, the disciples were waiting for Jesus at the Sea of Galilee. It's getting dark. There's no sign of him. Come on. We're going to go out onto this lake. So they got in the boat and headed out to, to Capernaum. They took off without Jesus. They may have lost sight of him, but they never, he never lost sight of them. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew what was happening. The disciples had left without him. Jesus is like, well, it's about time. Here comes the wind. So they're out there in the middle of the lake, and the wind's just a howling and a blowing and throwing that boat all over the place. And they look up, and who comes walking out to meet him? Here comes Jesus, walking on the water, headed toward them. Does anybody know what their reaction was? Oh, Jesus, it's about time. Come aboard, matey. You know, no, they freaked out. They were scared to death. It's a ghost. 
It's interesting, Matthew's gospel gives us a very important detail. It says that Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. This is all in Matthew chapter 14, if you're interested. Uh, The fourth watch of the night, that's in the last part of the evening. That's like towards morning. I mean, we're out late. They've probably been rowing out there for six, seven, eight hours. Probably feeling, Jesus forgot about us. We must have either got our signals crossed or I don't know what's happening, but Jesus hadn't forgot about them. He went to them right on time, just as it was meant to be. In the midst of that storm, Jesus appears, and he's there with them, encouraging them and loving them. Jesus walking on the water. Peter got so excited, he jumped out of the boat. But seeing the wind, Peter became frightened and began to sink, crying, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. A time of testing. A time to to put your faith into action. They needed a storm. They needed a boat. They needed to be rocked. Put in a situation that would require faith. Jesus appears to them. Come. I think it's a reminder to us that God's delays are not necessarily His, His denials. Just because... Because God doesn't answer our prayers as quickly as we want Him to, I don't think that means we're never going to get them. Surely as God has a will, I think He has a timing. The book of Ecclesiastes says the Bible, or the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, He makes all things beautiful in His time. Sometimes we go through storms in life. Sometimes God will allow situations, I think, to test us. I think as a church, we've been going through a time of testing. Let's take the pastor away from this church. Let's see what happens to him. Let's let's have people uh, um, pass away. Let's burn, burn a house down. Let's, let's, let's put these fallen people into a committee and watch them eat each other up. Let's, let's have a car show and, and, and see what, how that could turn into a disaster. Let's have, now, all of these things are placed before us, and we remain steadfast, grounded in the Word of God, moving forward, loving each other, because our lives are built on the rock. I can't speak for God. But I would believe God would say, good job, church. Good job, people. This is what I want to see. But we know the winds aren't done. The storms won't stop. We've got to keep digging in. We've got to keep going. Psalm uh, 40, I'm going to close with this. Um. This is about God sustaining his servant. Uh, This is David had written this. Are you struggling today? 
people? Are you you're wondering about God? Are you wondering about the church? Are you wondering about, you know, how are, how is how are we going to get through these these things that happen? Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears have been opened. Burnt offering and sin offering, you haven't required that. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. And it goes on and and praising God. And I just love that, though. Your loving kindness and your truth will continuously, continually preserve me. Steadfastness in the Lord is found right here. God wants to give that to you. He wants to give that to all of us. Remain steadfast in my love. Remain steadfast as a church. Keep doing what you're doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, we come to you again this morning as a church, dealing with loss, but yet with thankfulness in our hearts, thankful that you're a God who loves us, a God who has given us your word, has given us your salvation, all the tools necessary to build our house on the rock. Lord, bless us today. Help us to grow closer and to love one another, to remain steadfast as a church, so that every little thing we do will be to your glory. Nothing is in vain as we do it for the Lord. Lord, we love you today. In Jesus' name, amen.